0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Talk Neuro To Me podcast. Today I'm going to be joined by Dr. Joe Clark. Dr. Clark is a professor of neurology with 30 years of experience in brain and metabolic disorders, having been trained in Michigan State University, University of Paris, and Oxford University in England. He is a faculty member at the University of Cincinnati, where he assists in managing the sports TBI program for athletics and orthopedic surgery, where he sees patients, works with athletes, and does TBI and stroke research. Dr. Clark, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. How you doing, Freddys? Oh, I'm doing so good, Matt. I am so happy to have you back on the show. Um, today, we're talking about all things NVT, neurovisual therapy. So this is a new topic. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yep, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, later this year, you, you were uh, the Karek Institute is going all the way to Cincinnati, and you are doing the neurovisual therapy program. You're uh, putting that show on for us. We're really excited. Yeah, I believe it's practically sold out, even though it's months away, which is... Uh, I'm. I'm not. I'm not surprised. It's exactly what I expected because, You know. You. You've been in front of our audience for a little bit. They see the value and the things you're talking about. But the concept of the NVT is is different. Like they. They may not understand it. So let's start off with the basics, uh, Dr. Clark. What is NVT? What's it stand for?
1: Well, NVT is neuro-visual therapy, and obviously, I'm very neuro, but I'm also um very much with regard to the sensory system like vision and therapy and the the NVT program is going to be focusing on neurovisual therapies post sports concussion or sports traumatic brain injury
0: right because you've worked uh, and you contributed to the human performance program and you did uh some sports vision training but that was for a different purpose was it not what was the purpose of what you taught us before
1: well, the sports vision training is for performance enhancement. So, if we use the analogy of a post traumatic brain injured person, let's say their neurovisual faculties are at 50%. Well, then mm-hmm. the goal with NVT, neurovisual therapy, is to get them back to above 50%, 75, 80, 90, 100%. Whereas if you're talking about an athlete, we switch to percentile of the population. Let's say a division one college athlete may have neurovisual faculties on the top 85 percentile. Mm -hmm. Well, if I can improve them to the 90th percentile, the 95th percentile, that's actually very big as far as a competitive edge. And the funny thing, if you don't mind me putting it that way, is Mm -hmm. some of the same methods when applied cogently, are the same things to get both tasks done. In other words, to get a patient who's underperforming back to normal, we can use some of those same methods to get an athlete who's relatively good and get that those last couple of percentile points uh, to improve their performance and safety.
0: All right. So it seems like a continuum, right? At the at the lower end of the continuum of people who are trying to return back to their previous function, right? Mm-hmm. So what yes. was maybe optimal. And then I guess on the sports performance side of things, you're going, Hey, here you have somebody who's, you know, without this ease, right? Maybe without a TBI, without a concussion. And, but you're trying to get them closer to, to excellence, I suppose, is another yes, way to say it. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So let's go back to NBT. How does it work? Like where does the science come from for this type of work?
1: So neurovisual therapies uh comes from the optometric community and it's actually extremely old and well established. Optometrists in most optometry schools have classes and labs on neurovisual therapies. And most people think of the quote unquote vision training for 3 year olds with a weak eye and that's probably the most common. Those methods have existed, like I said, since the 20s and 30s, Uh, and therefore the literature has been around for a while. What we're doing is we're applying some of that same optometric literature to the neuro, which is why it's a neurovisual, and helping our patients get better post-traumatic brain injury. So it's grounded in science. It's highly established. The literature is out there. It is somewhat if you don't mind me saying, buried in the optometric literature, if you are a neuro person, a functional neurology type person, um, but it, it's out there and very much um, grounded and available. One of the disciple, one of the, excuse me, the uh, founders of uh, the neurovisual training that I subscribe to is a guy by the name of William H. Bates who lived in New York and was an optometrist in the 20s and 30s, and he has numerous textbooks that are describing neurovisual training and neurovisual therapies for patients that he was seeing way back then.
0: So if the NVT or the concept of the NVT and where some of the literature of NVT comes out of the optometric world, I guess the next question is who's doing it now? Because I see lots of different professions doing this type of work or at least what looks like similar work. So who's doing it now in this modern time?
1: Well, a lot of people, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches. Um, I literally got an email today from a strength and conditioning coach asking about neurovisual training for his athletes. Um, optometrists are still doing it and and uh, branching out now from the three-year-old with a weak eye to uh, either stroke, traumatic brain injury, or high-performance athletes. There's, again, kind of a mixture. Uh, I can guarantee you there was a... Uh, um, There are presentations from various people and organizations to um, coaches. So sports coaches are taking it on board as well. So neurologists, functional neurology people, optometrists, athletic training, physical therapists, they are um, uh, coming on board with regard to the NVTs, neurovisual training and neurovisual therapy for performance enhancement and treating patients.
0: All right, so it seems like everybody's in good company. Well, let's talk about the literature a little bit more though. So what does the literature say about these NDT type of applications? Like, is there literature that supports it? You said it was old, so I'm assuming there's at least some body of evidence. Uh, What does it say, if you can kind of give us a synopsis of it?
1: Well, what it says, from the optometric world are things like the indications and contraindications. So let's say, for example, a person has a a vertical phoria, and mm-hmm. most of our neuro scholars are going to know a vertical phoria can a person might be seeing double, you know, diplopia, or they could have a vestibular um, uh, dysfunction because the vertical phoria will make the vestibular system think that there's a vestibular ocular reflex abnormality or maybe even just a head tilt. So then it could be cervicogenic. All of those could j- come from one thing, and that is a vertical phoria. And what the literature says is if you see any of those symptoms, you may want to assess the vertical phoria, and then the vertical foria results could be used to figure out how to treat that person, whether it's a balanced, uh, pers- uh, balanced dysfunction or, or cervicogenic. Um, or nausea, so you can have somatic types of uh, uh, symptoms. Uh, so the literature would then discuss the ocular motor or prism treatment to help that person get better. And the, the decision on which way to go is always up to the clinician. In other words, if you have a vertical phoria, is it a muscular imbalance? And then we do uh, neurovisual ocular motor rehab, or mm-hmm. if it's a severe imbalance, one might need to go to an optometrist or an ophthalmologist to pre- prescribe prisms to bring the visual alignment back in, help the person feel better and progress clinically, and then wean them off of the prisms while doing ocular motor training to realign the eyes. And but and that's a- where the literature sits as far as... Um, uh, sign symptoms differential diagnosis and treatment strategy
0: you know you, you mentioned prisms and prisms has always been interesting to me because depending on who you're talking to they're very quick to pull out those prisms but you know question i've always asked when when co-managing these patients is when does this when are they not going to need them and sometimes the answer is clear and sometimes it's not so clear more often times not so clear uh since i know you are very uh, elegant in the way you co-manage your patients in doing this type of work i want to ask you do you use prisms and, and when you're applying your NVT, uh applications with your patients or if you're co-managing a patient that's recommending prisms, is the prisms like a forever type of thing or do you find other mechanisms to eventually keep improving the ocular motor performance so the prisms are no longer a permanent uh, quote-unquote solution, if you want to call it that?
1: Right. So most of the people that I work with, the optometrist, I work with a couple of very good optometrists. Mm -hmm. a couple of very good vision vision therapists, that is their their focus, and um, uh, uh, physicians who are team leads to help manage the patients for other things. Uh, We all agree that prisms for post-traumatic brain injury are going to be temporary, and we work hard to wean people off of them. So the prisms are a feel better solution to get Um, certain things back online, and and let's say it's a vestibular or neck or cervicogenic, and then that person can feel better about themselves, and then we wean them off off of the prisms while doing ocular motor training or whatever we need to do to help them uh, get back to normal. We use the expression of before a brain injury, that is an old you, after the brain injury is a new you, and we are constantly working back uh, working hard to get you back to the old you,
0: right? So, and that's uh, when you look at it that way. The prisms is really just, uh, yeah, just like you said, a temporary thing to get you back to the old you, which is without oh. prisms. Correct. Yes. Right now, makes a lot of sense. So, well, it's great to hear from your from your from your perspective and uh, level of expertise. So, the NVT program that you're putting on really comes out from the perspective of uh, concussion or TBI. But what other types of conditions may one leverage nbt with
1: Uh, sure so uh a lot of brain oriented uh, manifestation so aging for one you know all of our eyes start to fatigue Uh, we lose accommodation muscles start to atrophy so Mm -hmm. um certain with certainly with aging um traumatic brain injury is obviously in there stroke various acquired brain injuries all come into play with regard to trying to apply NVT neurovisual therapy. Um, then the the neurovisual therapy techniques can be applied to um, uh, athletes for performance enhancement if, if one chooses to go that way. Uh, and just increasing the quality of life as a person is um, uh, doing things. So for example, the neurovisual therapy, we have found um, uh, some of our Students come in and they're spending much too much time on Uh, the computer or the phone or their iPad, and they end up over-converging and over-accommodating, and then they start getting migraines, and college becomes very difficult. Again, I am in a college university setting, so this tends to be my patient population. So then we use the same NVT techniques. The person's not brain injured, the person's not a a Division I college athlete, they're just a student who wants to have better study endurance, and that's the term we use, we use the NVT to improve their study endurance.
0: Got it. Beautiful. So let's talk about what's actually going on during these NVT sessions. So, what type of activities is one doing during NVT? Like, so I guess my question is, what does it look like in practice? Because right now it's a podcast, but these people must be wondering what is what does this look like? We talked about the prisms, but there's more to it. So, what does it look like?
1: Well, it. it- It's very dynamic, but one of the things I subscribe to that. Now, this is not written in stone, but this is some of where the literature is, including from William H. Bates is I like to do one and two minute activities and then cycle through. So say, for example, I choose 15 one or two minute activities. If I have a one hour session, then we might cycle through them two or three times because there's always time in between. And so say, for example, we're doing saccadic eye charts which mm-hmm. are called heart charts. Again, ancient literature on that. So we would do that for one or two minutes. Or the Baroque string, which is um, uh, accommodation, a duction and AB-duction exercises, as well as binocularity. We would do that for one or two minutes. Um, we might do accommodative flippers. So we get the accommodative system involved. And accommodative flippers can be used for uh, things like um, uh, near far. Picture my the student I was referring to is having difficulty um, in classes, uh, and their study endurance. Well, one of the things that college kids have to do is look at something in front of their desk and look at a professor or a board that's near far. Accommodative flippers can help train that and improve the accommodative system to do that. Um, uh, uh, short-term memory games. There's what's called the chichistoscope. You flash an image like you would flash a slide on screen and how much information does that get and uh, that does that individual get off of that screen and again one or two minutes. So there's lots of little things for a short period of time and we go bam 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 uh, from station to station or activity to activity uh, to keep The person active to keep the brain active and dynamic because if we fatigue one system, we believe, then the other systems may slow down. So we try not to fatigue any one system and go through different systems of ocular motor, um, accommodative system, um, executive function, memory, and even cervicogenic. There's the concept of head on a swivel, eyes on a swivel, um, so that they're able to do what they need to do.
0: But one of the things I've always loved about watching you do your work is a lot of times it looks like these athletes that are you're helping recover from a concussion, uh, it looks like they're playing almost games, right? But these games oh, yeah. have a very specific purpose. So it's like you never see anybody doing their therapies and look bored like you may see in like uh, another type of therapy practice. They, they kind of look like they're playing a game and enjoying the process of, of rehabbing their neurovisual system.
1: Yes, yeah, we try very hard to, to gamify it to, to have diverse things like on the computer or on paper or pitch-and-catch um, uh, and, and many people because I, I am in it like I said a college setting uh, Think pitch-and-catch can be a lot of fun. So we can mix that up. We use things like hula hoops um, uh, Marsden balls colored batons strobe glasses uh, and we do make it fun. We'll have people do pitch and catch with strobe glasses on while they're on a half BOSU. So um, obviously that would be a progression piece, but the right. dynamism helps keep uh, the people engaged. And the um, the vision trainers who uh, do the vision training for the patients, um, we, ha- we like to think we have a pretty good retain- retention rate. Um, We've actually tracked um, the vision training, uh, if you don't mind a little bit of data, the vision training post-traumatic brain injury and reasons for people not showing up, which does occur, right? No shows do occur. Um, And it's, it's a great graphic. And what you can see on the graph is in the beginning, people don't show up because they know they're gonna get fatigued, they're already feeling poorly, it's just not a good day for them, they're not gonna come in that day. And so they cancel, that's fine, but we track this. And then as their rehab session goes along, there's usually in the middle where they're just dedicated, they're there all the time, and then at transition they start canceling again because now they're doing things. Life is getting in the way, which is what we want. I can't come in for vision training today because I'm actually going to my so-and-so's wedding and I'm not afraid to go to the so-and-so's wedding. So that becomes a success and that also is a good indicator for you know, when we're going to be discharging somebody.
0: Right. That's beautiful. All right. I'm going to ask you, well, a couple of other questions. You mentioned a lot of technology as you were telling me what these activities look like. You mentioned strobe glasses. I know you use the, uh, the DynaVision, those light up boards and there's, you know, other, I guess you could even call prisms technology. Sure. Um, so I'm going to ask you this, right? If, if you were stuck in an Island and you had to help a bunch of your patients and athletes, um, recover from a concussion or a T, uh, mtbi but you could only have one tool that you could use in your nvt sessions what would that tool be and that's that's got to be a hard question <laughs> got to be <a> hard question <laughs> what right. would you yeah. choose
1: <laughs> so that, that's a really good question um so i love the technology i really do love the technology technology gives us data we are in a technologic uh, society and many of sure. my Patients are in the age group where they like technology, but I don't need or require the technology. So the answer to that question is: If I were stuck on a deserted island and I could only have one thing, I would ask for two things, and that would be an unlimited supply of paper <laughs> and colored pens, because it's the it's the it's what I want to impart to the the scholars is it's really about what you do with your patients. And what you have in your head. So it's a foundation. You, you don't have to use the highest tech um, and sometimes that's not what people want. If you have an extremely photophobic person and you're going to put them in front of a computer screen. They're not going to like it. So you're going to always have to be able to adapt and, and um, again, I'll just go back to paper and pen.
0: Right. So I guess, I guess the magic of what you're really talking about today with nbt is you know what you may have a lot of tools available to you, you know the mars and the ball the strobe glasses dyna um the prisms uh, different lenses but uh, the gift that you're going to be giving people during nbt is knowing when to apply which tool right i hope so yeah because that's got to be the trick to it because otherwise it becomes a game of uh, otherwise, it becomes a game of uh, let's do everything that's in front of me. Here's my NVT toolbox. I'm going to put you through it. So I guess the magic knows and goes into knowing when to apply things, when not to apply things to get the patient back to optimal and and hopefully better than optimal.
1: absolutely. yes. and and we will be discussing when things are contraindicated. so that that's actually, uh, in, in our, our uh, educational design, because there are times when things just aren't going to be done or could be too early, and that, that's part of what we want to impart to the scholars.
0: Perfect. All right, Dr. Clark, the NVT program uh, this year for, it's for 2020, we're having it on, uh, starting on June 26th, 27th, 28th. It's going to be at the University of Cincinnati in Ohio. Um, I'm registered for the course. I'm going to go. I'm flying in because I would not miss it. I've always enjoyed learning from you. Um, and I always enjoyed hearing your perspective on how to help patients. And I actually, I know a lot of my colleagues are going as well. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a, a great time. I also, we all, Institute has also gotten a lot of emails about people saying, hey, listen, I can't go to this one or I want to bring my staff and, uh, but I can't make it to this one. So I, I think there's plans to do this course again, even next year, along with the human performance program, that's going to be happening on a yearly basis. So you're going to be doing a lot with the Carrick Institute. Uh, and I'm excited, so- uh, I'm excited about that.
1: Yes, I hope so. I I really do want to engage uh, more heavily with the Carrick Institute and and the scholars. Uh, And I'm in an educational institution. You guys are an educational institution. I I really enjoy imparting knowledge.
0: And and you do it really, really well. And actually, you're going to be speaking at this year's IACN as well. That's taking place uh, this year of 2020, May 22nd, through the 24th, I believe. So that's, I believe I got those dates yep. right. Yep. Um, what's your What's the topic you're presenting on this year, Doc?
1: So uh, this year, what I'm going to be presenting is uh, the, the theme is really medical documentation for sports traumatic brain injury. There's a lot of um, uh, people who use baselines for um, concussions th- Baselines for athletes almost every state mandates concussion baselines for organized sports And so we're going to be uh uh, teaching people at the uh, iscn um, Some neuro based baselines that people can choose to use or not and then the second thing is There's uh, which is complementary. There's this concept of proving an absence of suspicion so it's very easy, not easy, but it's very straightforward to diagnose a concussion if you're in the neuro world. But what happens when there's been a, an athlete who's had a big hit, an athletic trainer or coach or somebody has pulled from that athlete from play and now Ohio state law and many state laws require an exam to say that person is safe and ready to go back to play. This, is, this person's never been diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury. So you have to prove an absence of suspicion. So we have a validated absence of suspicion panel that can be done fairly quickly. This is separate from a sideline concussion test. This is a a series of neuro tests that are very easy to do um, and uh, provide quantitative results for good medical documentation.
0: Well, I gotta say, that sounds like another very valuable presentation. Dr. Clark, I'm always impressed by the wealth of knowledge that you are. So, again, if you wanna catch Dr. Clark this year at the NBT program, I'm not sure if there's a couple of seats that are close to sold out. I think they're very, very close to sold out. That's gonna be June 26th, 27th, 28th in University of Cincinnati uh, of this year, 2020. It's also gonna be at the, the ISCN of 2020 that's taking place in May of this year. And the Human Performance Program is happening. Uh, starting up later this year in module four where you start doing brain-based performance enhancement using sports vision therapy that's happening next year as well along with along with another nbt dr clark if our audience wanted to find you or learn more about you where can they find you in addition to those places that i just named
1: well yeah, certainly the uh, the NVT program and uh, ISCN later this year. Uh, I'm at the University of Cincinnati. Um, I actually use my Gmail address, uh, which is Clark Jf at gmail.com. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, more uh, Carrick training and um, uh, I'm a regular at the ISCN as well. so um, I'm, I'm around.
0: Perfect, Dr. Clark. Well, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Guys, thank you for tuning in to Talk Me, and we'll catch you next time. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the
1: Contact Us page on CarrickInstitute.com.